This is Asha Voices. I'm J.D. Gray. Today on the podcast, we're looking at exciting new research that addresses the where and the who of hearing loss in the U.S. I'll be joined by two guests to discuss the Soundcheck Project, research that includes new estimates of bilateral hearing loss in the U.S. That was published in January of this year in the Lancet Regional Health Americas, and the data are also presented in a compelling interactive map on the Soundcheck website. David Ryan is a senior fellow at NORC at the University of Chicago, and he's the principal investigator behind the Soundcheck project. Joining David and returning to the podcast is Nick Reed. Nick is an audiologist and assistant professor at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Nick worked with David on the Soundcheck study, and he's a co-author on the publication I mentioned. Nick provides additional context with both an audiology and a public health lens. I spoke with David and Nick in January, and referencing the new estimates of hearing loss, I asked David for a few of the big takeaways from the study. What did he learn about the where and the who of hearing loss in the U.S.? So I come to this as a person who's relatively new to the hearing loss world, and a big takeaway for me, even before the study and then just confirmed by our findings, is how common hearing loss is. In our study, we estimated that 11.6% of Americans, which is more than one in 10, have some form of bilateral hearing loss. So that's an extremely common problem compared to most other conditions. Another national result that was striking to me is how much the risk of hearing loss begins to increase in the 35 to 64 year old age group. So for that group, we estimated about 8.9 or almost 9% of people had some form of bilateral hearing loss as compared to only about a half a percent among people younger than 35. So this seems or struck me as information that we could use to help focus attention to hearing loss among working age adults. Nick, I was just going to ask, did those ages jump out to you? Yeah, I think it's such a broad range. It's it's sometimes hard, but and it's it's I think consistent with the literature, but I think this is a much clearer picture. And perhaps actually framing it this way is nice because we often sort of lose sight of the working age aspect of this population because we tend to do these really narrow, you know, age decade bands that kind of hide the fact that when you just put it all together, it's it's a pretty significant number, right? We're getting into like 10, 10%, and that's nothing to shake a stick at, right? That is something. David, did you have any other takeaways? So, I mean, obviously the major contribution of our work are the geographic results. And I was immediately struck by the disparities between urban and rural areas, which uh, I have to say I was not necessarily expecting to see at all. I thought uh, maybe a potentially a big driver of hearing loss might be from transportation noise, from roads and highways and airports, which are usually louder in big cities. And probably high noise level from transportation are a driver of hearing loss for certain individuals with high exposures. So it's not that we shouldn't be aware of that. Still, our model results don't suggest that the county level variation in transportation noise are a big driver of population level variations in hearing loss because we see more hearing loss in rural areas where over the whole county that transportation noise is lower. Before we move on, uh, Nick, any other takeaways for you that you wanted to bring up at the beginning? You know, I think in a weird way that the takeaway with the, the urban-rural divide, and David said this for is an important thing, it's just, it's stressing to me the the public health importance of where we direct policy. And so far, 
just as a very big, broad picture, all of our sort of work has been at this very national level without a lot of very regional or specific population focus. And, you know, I think this is highlighting some extreme disparities. Tell me more about the trends you found of what's going on in rural areas. We find when you look at counties based on their level of urbanization, um, you can look at a scale uh uh, created by the government, um, ranging from one, which is the most urban, to nine, which is the least urban. And interestingly, we didn't use this variable in our model at all. But when we mapped our prevalence estimates to those categories, we found that people living in the most rural areas had almost twice the hearing loss as people in the most urban areas, which is a pretty striking difference. I should note, we also looked at uncertainty in the overall measures, and at least the model suggests that the likelihood of this difference being just related to random chance is pretty small, so well well under 1%. Do you have any speculation on why rural areas may have such higher rates of hearing loss? We tested some variables um, that might look at that. The model didn't select them, so we can't say for sure what it is. Uh, There's a lot of things that are going on or not going on in rural areas that might be contributing to the problems. So rural areas in general have lower access to all types of primary care and medical health professionals. And we did have a measure for active physicians per capita in a county, which was related. So basically, the fewer active doctors there were in the county, the higher we found the hearing loss to be. But there's also a lot of occupational and maybe recreational exposures that need further investigation. So for example, working with farm equipment, working Uh, in industries like mining, which our model definitely showed was related to higher levels of hearing loss, and potentially, you know, forms of recreation like snowmobiling, um, and even recreational use of firearms might be contributing to higher rates of hearing loss in rural areas. Nick, is there any context you might be able to add to this? Yeah, I think David hits it on the head. You know, the way way I look at it is there's lower healthcare access, you know, that that reflects in overall poorer health behaviors and poor health in general. So you've got higher rates of stroke or cardiovascular measures, hypertension, more likely to smoke per capita. And when you think about the noise exposure aspects, and I think David says it very eloquently that urban areas, they seem like a more noisy thing, but the actual activities we're talking about here are very different, right? You can sit in 80, 90 dBA for hours in theory before, you know, OSHA or NIOSH would tell you that you're at, you know, risk for hearing damage. And so you can be exposed to this for a while versus some of these activities we're talking about, gunfire, the snowmobiling, the mining industry, the logging industry. These are not low levels of noise. These are in the 120 decibel. This is 130. These are things that, you know, were in the minutes to seconds ranges before unprotected ears could be subject to hearing damage. So, and you put that on top of poorer overall health, we often forget about how smoking and cardiovascular status modifies your risk for noise-induced hearing loss. And so I think when you put this all together, it actually is, um, it's fascinating that you, no one I think was going into this study with the a priori hypothesis that there would be this level of disparity 
but it's explainable, right? And it is something that warrants further, you know, and deeper dives on the research side, just because there are real true hypothetical pathways that could explain all these differences. And I suppose the data is telling you where the hearing loss exists and not necessarily where it originated. So it could have happened also in the military or at sea or something like that. Right, right. So is there anything else that connects the places that have the most hearing loss? I mean, I think the other thing that's a real driver of the raw rates of hearing loss is the population composition. There's been a lot of research really well done showing that non-Hispanic whites have higher rates of hearing loss than other race and ethnicity groups. Certainly older people have higher rates of hearing loss. So when you get to rural areas, a lot of these have kind of a triple whammy of population effects plus potentially noise exposures that are maximizing the amount of hearing loss that they're experiencing. It is important to note, though, I'll just say it again, it is important to note, though, that even after you control for these population level differences, so let's, for example, like assume that all counties had the same population distribution as the nation as a whole, you're still seeing higher rates of hearing loss in rural areas than than in urban areas. Yeah, I was I was literally about to chime in and say, but let's let's stress there's there's something else here. You know, if you get into the this interactive map, you can see this sort of play out. I'll I'll say that when David first started sharing the results with the the rest of the team and and to sort of non-NORC outsiders like myself, and you just look at Florida, for example, or other states with these higher age populations that fit a lot of the large broad swath demographic risk factors, race, age. And then you look though at some of these counties and just the the prevalence of hearing loss, there's it's almost something you can see with the naked eye just on the map before even getting into statistical controls. Yeah, that's what I feels like so wonderful about maps is it really lets you visualize and bring your own experiences to bear on the data in a way that's not at all clear, at least to me when I'm looking at data tables or, you know, analyzing something with a program. The map is very engaging. For people that haven't seen it yet, it's on the Soundcheck website. You've produced an interactive map. People can look at the county level and the state level, and they can look at hearing loss estimates. They can filter it by hearing loss severity and demographic information like age and race and ethnicity. And they can also overlap the map with more information like the location of audiologists. Tell me about some of the decisions you made when designing this presentation. Okay, so first I want to give credit where credit's due. Like this specific map is a product of a large amount of work and investment by our geographic information specialists here at NORC who are exceptional, and I'm so grateful for their help with the map on this project. That said, I think of all maps as a tool to help us visualize information at differing levels of complexity while still having the ability to gather some specific information when you find a place that you're interested in. The importance of mapping and visualizations to me is that it helps me see relationships that aren't always apparent to me. And it's a great way to relate what an individual knows about place and to something that they might not know as well, like the specific prevalence of hearing loss in different places. We tried to design and build the map in a way that would help people generate hypotheses and then get some information that could at least start to address their questions. But I mean, much more research on why these regional variations in hearing loss 
exist are necessary. And so what we're hoping for is that people can use the map to start generating questions that they can test with additional data. You know, you've mentioned kind of some professional applications, but also your ability to, you know, look very closely at, at small sections. For me, when I saw the map, the first place I checked, I went to my hometown where I grew up and I looked to see. Uh, what... I did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, what, what are some of the places that you've both chosen to take a look at? Well, so I live in Atlanta and Fulton County is very interesting to me. So I've looked at the Fulton County data quite a bit. Fulton County has low rates of hearing loss. And then, you know, just as a sanity check, I wanted to see, does this county match up to what I would expect for this county, given its demographic information? And sure enough, like Fulton County is relatively young, a high proportion of people of color and very urban, you know, which I can see immediately from the map. And I can also overlay Fulton County with the number of audiologists per capita and see that, you know, we've got a, a decent number of audiologists, so they must be doing a good job. Nick, what about you? What did you look at? Yeah, I think it sounds like there's a theme. Everybody's first reaction <laughs> is to go to their home state. And I did the same thing. And, um, you know, I keyed in on Maryland and particularly Baltimore. And uh, yeah, I was do I, I almost going through the exact same sort of list is like, does this make sense? And Maryland has in general really low prevalence. And it's uh, it's obviously a very urban, dense state because it's small. And it's sitting between Washington, D.C., Baltimore, and, you know, Baltimore sort of in the middle and Philadelphia right at the border, not far. But what's fascinating to me is that it fits the urban-rural divide well, not just, you know, does it make sense on race uh, and demographics, but even in some of our counties that are overwhelmingly white and wealthy and a little bit on the older side even, you still see lower prevalence when you just start to compare with Western Maryland getting into, you know, West Virginia. And that was actually the next spot I went was West Virginia is incredibly dark on this map. And uh, dark meaning it, there's a lot of hearing loss there. Dark meaning there's a lot of hearing loss. And I mean, it's, it's almost striking to compare if you start to drive towards the more urban parts of the coastal areas from West Virginia. So going in West Virginia towards Maryland, towards Baltimore, towards Washington, D.C., I mean, you can see the gradients just change right there. And I just, I found this fascinating. Yeah. Another place I was looking at just yesterday, I was talking to a reporter from Montana who was interested in the results. And, you know, I'd never thought about Montana specifically because there's just so many counties and so many states to think about. I was like, oh, I better get prepared. Let me pull up the map. And I was looking at Montana and, and, you know, sure enough, there's tons of mining, not particularly urban at all, lots of rural areas, and was just struck by the concordance of the hearing loss with the rurality in Montana. And then talking to him, he had a lot of experience with rural populations. And he said, you know, at least from his uh, qualitative perspective, the idea that people would have more hearing loss in Montana related to industry and farming. And he gave the example of someone working at a farm combine all day with that noise behind them and not being able to take a break. So the map helped me engage in that conversation and talk with him about things in Montana that I, I would not have been able to do without the benefit of those results. On previous episodes of the podcast, we've discussed creative solutions for reaching people who don't live near audiologists. We've had conversations on mobile audiology clinics, audiologists partnering with community health workers, and the use 
of telepractice. We've also discussed the potential influence over-the-counter hearing aids may have on accessibility or awareness. I mentioned these to Nick in our conversation, and he says these areas have grown a lot, but haven't hit the sweet spot. He highlights that lower access to technology infrastructure can affect telepractice and remote care options. He also mentions that hearing loss is a chronic health condition and may require a different model than the acute care model some mobile clinics are based on. My interpretation is that this research that's been done, led by David, it is a bigger call to action that we need to think about sustainable, pragmatic implementation models, if you will, where we can take some of what's been done and start to keep, you know, just slightly making adjustments and using sort of normalization process theory even to get to a point where we're really, really customizing the rural care models. Later in the conversation, while discussing where audiologists live, Nick says the study shows that the areas of greatest need tend to have the lowest concentration of services. ASHA partnered with Ryan's team to share anonymized zip code data of ASHA certified audiologists in the United States to address questions of access to audiological services. Ryan says that the overlay of audiologists per capita over hearing loss rates is one of the first things audiologists want to look at, and he says it always brings out a gasp. I asked Nick, from an audiologist's perspective, if he sees opportunities created by the soundcheck map, whether it's going into these places where hearing loss is prevalent or other opportunities. Yeah, I mean, 100%, I see the opportunity of going into these more rural communities, but but I think this is... It sort of fits in the broader theme of audiology, in my opinion, where, you know, audiology has changed a lot in recent years, right? We're, we're moving into this very sort of triaged model of care. And honestly, where I would hope when audiologists see this is not, oh, I should open up a practice in this rural community, but instead, how can I, in a sustainable model, extend my services reach in a meaningful and sort of ethical way, right? I hope that the opportunity is that we're sort of, everybody's minds are racing into, you know, driving innovation. Another quick context question here for you, Nick. Of course, even with these advances, even with different models and strategies of reaching people in rural areas, if people aren't seeking care, they're, they're not going to have their hearing loss addressed, right? I'm just wondering if, if you had any context or want to make a comment on, on people seeking care. Yeah, you know, I think this is a big part too, the awareness building. And perhaps to some extent, this map literally is part of the awareness building. It's information dissemination in a different way, right? And instead of gatekeeping information, it's really putting it at the fingertips of the public. Even broader, perhaps when we see this, you know, do we need to start getting a little bit better at how we frame hearing and think about, you know, awareness building and I could I could go on about this because, you know, we do have some work at Johns Hopkins where we have an entirely different public health campaign focusing on moving away from these like sort of stuffy concepts of hearing loss as like a binary model and more about hearing across the lifespan and letting people anchor against something. But But I think the bigger takeaway here is you're absolutely right. The innovation and the framing also needs to be not just how do I get care to these populations, but how do I raise awareness and how do I, to use a business term, how do you increase and incentivize and build demand? And that's that's sort of a key thing here too. 
the overall goal of the project was not actually to create these estimates, right? So the goal was to increase education and awareness of hearing loss in the United States. And that's on at least three levels. So education and awareness among the public, among healthcare professionals, and among public health professionals. We had an idea that if we created these county level estimates and were able to house them on a website that's attractive uh, with a map that's fun to play with, people would start talking about this problem and see like, hey, it's a serious problem and there's some gaps here and I can see them with my own eyes and generate ideas about how to address them. We did do some messaging research associated with promotion of this information to the public. And what we found was the most effective message was one that normalizes hearing loss compared to other conditions using the example of glasses, specifically a message that says taking care of your hearing is just like taking care of your vision. Hearing loss is a normal part of aging and very common. You know, talk to your doctor about whether you might be experiencing hearing loss and what you can do about it. Made people more willing to engage in a conversation about their own hearing loss. Interestingly, another finding that we found in that research was that there was a real hunger among the public to hear more about hearing loss. So it was very positively viewed compared to other subjects that we've tested. And people were really open to getting more information about how to both identify any hearing loss that they have and uh, how to treat it if they needed treatment. Because of what we've talked about with accessibility, that audiologists aren't always located in all of the rural areas, there is a chance that some people with hearing loss, the first person they'll encounter who who's able to, to spot that would be an SLP. So do you have a message for SLPs who may encounter someone with hearing loss? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I guess as I guess the quote unquote message is kind of interesting. I'm not sure I, I thought of it that way as, um, you know, hey, keep an eye out for these things. I, I think the I think the bigger message is that SLPs and audiologists, you know, are arm in arm allied health practitioners that sort of work on two sides of the same coin often. And uh, you're absolutely right. For every one audiologist, there's something like 10 to 20 SLPs, and they may be the first person who has any background in hearing that someone encounters. And I think a lot of SLPs already do keep this in their mind, to be honest with you. A lot of SLPs I meet are extremely savvy, but if it is something that we can keep in the back of our minds, and I, w- I might even make the call to action to my audiology colleagues that we've got to engage SLPs as part of the triaged pyramid of, of hearing care to go wide uh, and keep people educated, keep people aware, because that literally, like you said, may be the first person that anyone sees in a rural area with some expertise in hearing. But David, let me ask you, um, the map is online, the study is published. What do you hope to see next? Oh, wow. So, I mean, the the big push right now is to try to, like I said, try to increase awareness of the resources that we've put up online. So that's what we'll be working on uh, over the next couple of months. But after that, I, I, I think the map raises more really interesting questions than an answer. So it gives us some sense that hearing loss varies by geography. But we really need more specific research on the reasons why. And then I think you were talking about these one-size-fit-all approaches before in the conversation. I mean, 
there's very little in this world where a one size fit all approach is gonna is gonna serve me a place as big and diverse as the United States. So if we start understanding the causes and risk factors of hearing loss in different places. In this place, it's like a dichotomy of rural versus urban. Uh, but there's really more to it. I'm sure Western rurality is a lot different than Appalachian rurality. And so there's probably specific solutions that work uh, in different places. And I hope that the map generates, you know, just more general interest in the topic of hearing loss. I find it like absolutely fascinating. <laughs> I've been completely engrossed in it. And I can think of like a million new research questions I want to study based off of what we found on this one. And it gives the opportunity not just to look at places where the hearing loss is, where, where the map is shaded darker, but also you can find places where maybe hearing loss is being addressed exceptionally well. That's right. That's right. Like, what are models of excellence and what's going right in those places? It's a rush to get to publication. Our team really even hasn't had time to pour through all of the detailed results and find places where uh, hearing loss is much lower than we would expect it to be given its demographics, where it is, et cetera. But I think that's another use of the map is to find places that are doing really well and figure out what they're doing right. David, Nick, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We're putting a link to the soundcheck research and the interactive map on the blog post for this episode. Find that at on.ash.org slash podcast. While you're on our website, you will also find more recent reporting on the soundcheck project, past episodes of the podcast looking at public health and audiology, and many Asher resources related to hearing loss. Asher Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association. It comes from the team behind the Asher Leader magazine. I'm J.D. Gray. This is... Asha Voices.